Well, good morning. There's a whole lot more people in here than 12. Uh, good morning. Hey, it's good to see you all here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn uh, to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 24. Uh, and parents, I know that you have your kids with you, so I will try to be mindful of that as we uh, journey through the Word this morning. But if you're a guest with us here at Cross Point, uh, we believe that the worship does not end when the last song ends, but it continues even through the teaching of the Word. And we worship uh, in teaching, we worship in listening and responding and so uh, don't, fit, don't uh, be scared to, if you enjoy something, to say amen or worship along. But if you don't like it, you can keep that comment to yourself. Uh, but in Luke chapter 24, we are, uh, as a church, over the past few weeks, we've been in a series that we called The Weekend. And we went, uh, so two Sundays ago, we looked at Good Friday. Uh, and when Christ atoned uh, for the sin of the world that the Father laid uh, the weight and the, uh, of the sin and the wrath that he had towards sin on his own son, uh, and then that he had died. And then last uh, Sunday, Luke uh, walked us through the Saturday uh, of, the, of Easter weekend, where we looked at Christ being buried. And this morning, it's Easter. And so I get to talk about the resurrection. And so it's the, uh, uh, it's the, the preacher's dream uh, to, to preach on Easter Sunday. Uh, and so I'm thankful for you all being here. Uh, when we get to the Gospel of, of Luke, or actually when we just get to the, to the Gospels in general, when we're looking at the resurrection accounts, all four Gospels talk about the resurrection accounts. And when, when we read them, it's important for us to look at them more like newspaper headlines, if you will, of eyewitness accounts, right? And so uh, you'll, you'll see things that, that Mark says that John doesn't or Luke says that Matthew doesn't. And, and so when we read them, we read them as if they're eyewitness accounts. So just think about it for a moment. If something happened in Jones County that was something we had never seen before, and six people witnessed that thing, how many different, different side of the word, how many variations that you would actually hear of what happened? And that when we go to the Easter, the resurrection accounts, that's what we see in there. So this morning, I'm not going to spend my time walking through the variations of, was it morning? Was it dark outside? Was it this? How many angels were there? Uh, because here's what we need to understand is that every gospel is in agreement in this, that Jesus died, that he was placed in a tomb, and that stone was rolled away, and he came out victorious over the grave. So this morning, we are looking at that. We're looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. What we've done over the past couple of weeks is look at how the Old Testament gave us a prophecy uh, that Christ would die, that the Messiah would uh, would, would suffer on a cross, that the Messiah would actually, we see in Psalm 22, that he would actually be crucified on a criminal's cross in between two criminals. We see even how the Old Testament prophesied that he would be buried in a, in a rich man's tomb, that he would be numbered among the transgressors and with the rich alike. But what we also see is that in the Old Testament, that there were pictures and glimpses that this Messiah that would suffer would also live again. Uh, and there's not as many explicit prophecies, if you will, uh, but there are some. We actually see it in Isaiah 53. I want to read this to you real quick in verses 10 through 12. So this is after uh, the famous, you know, the verses of Isaiah 53 that many of us have read. This is what we see. And it was actually in our, our 14 days of reading yesterday. And Isaiah 53 says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
He was put to grief, and his soul makes an offering for guilt. That was Good Friday, right? That's what happened. He was crushed on Good Friday. But then it says this, the one who was crushed shall see his offspring. So the one who died shall see. So how can someone who's dead see? Well, he comes alive again, right? So we see it in Isaiah 53. It says, he shall prolong his days. It's literally eternal, like his days will not end. The Lord was, uh, the, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So Isaiah gives this picture of what we are celebrating today, that the one who was crushed on Friday would live again to see his offspring, to see his seed, if you will. And whatever the will of the Lord, whatever he wills, it will prosper in the hand of the one who was crushed on Friday. So we see it in Isaiah, this foreshadowing or this prophecy it says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see it and be satisfied. So the one who was crushed on Friday shall see his work and be satisfied in his work. How could that be unless the one who died would rise again? And he shall bear the iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of, sin of many, and watch this, and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's even the picture of the ascension, that the one who was crushed on Friday would see his offspring, would see his work and be satisfied, yet the one who was crushed would also make intercession for those, for transgressors. So we see even in Isaiah, and so when we get to the gospel accounts, and Luke and I were talking this morning, how crazy it was that they missed the prophecies, right? We, we read Isaiah, now we're looking post the empty tomb, right? So we look back and go, we know the story. They're living it out in real time. But the reality is the disciples who spent three, three and a half years with him missed it. And he explicitly told them, hey, I'm going to go here and I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be die, I'm going to crucify, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, and I will rise again. But they missed it. And so when we get to these gospel accounts, what you and I need to realize is their Sunday morning started a whole lot different than ours did this morning. That whenever we read the stories of these women coming to the tomb, they're not coming anticipating that Jesus is going to be risen. They're going anticipating that he's still dead. As a matter of fact, and I want to set it up for you, I want to remind you of this, that what Luke talked about last week, that these ladies that we read about here, they we see it, we saw it in Matthew, also see it in Luke 23, verse 49. It says that all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So we understand that these women who were coming to the tomb on Sunday were there on Friday and they saw Jesus die. Are you with me? Not only that, but we also know that they saw him actually be buried. So when they're coming to the tomb, they don't go to, they don't mistake the tomb for another tomb. They know where he's buried. They saw him get buried in this tomb. They saw the stone uh, get placed in front and sealed off. So we see it in uh, Luke 23, verses 55 and 56. It says, the women who had come with him from Galilee and followed him saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And this is what I want to kind of set the scene, set the stage for this text that I'm about to read. It says, and they returned. So this is Friday. They see him get placed in the tomb. Everybody with me? And Luke made a joke about this. We, we know that Nicodemus and jo, Joseph of Arimathea prepared him for this. They, so the Jews didn't embalm. They put spices and, and different ointments to try to keep from the smell from going. And so they saw them do that. But they go home and they prepare spices because they're going to go and do the better job. As what Luke is, men, you can't trust men in that, right? And so, this, I want, so here's the context. So it's Friday, so they returned, and what did they do when they got back to their home? 
they began to prepare the spices and the ointments to be able to go to prepare Jesus' body, if you will. And it says, on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. So time out for a moment. They see Jesus get placed in the tomb. Everybody with me, shake your head. They go home. They prepare the spices and the ointment to go put on the the dead body of Jesus, but they can't go the next day because it's the Sabbath. So they have to honor the Lord and keeping the Sabbath. Where do you think their mind was all day Saturday? Where do you think all day, do you think that they just, uh, literally all day long Saturday, they, are the one, they, they wanted to be at the tomb so they could anoint Christ, but they couldn't because they had to keep the Sabbath. So whenever they show up in, in Luke 24 into the, into the, to the, to the graveyard, if you will, to, to, the, to the tomb, they're coming with this expectation that Jesus is still dead. Everybody with me? I'm going to make you do this a lot. Okay. So now let's read Luke 24, beginning of verse 1. So on the first day of the week, at the early dawn, they went to the tomb. So that they, as these, these women, we'll get to that in a minute. So they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They, they had been preparing since when? Friday. So the spices that they had prepared, they're taking them, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Pause for a moment. And their mind's like, we're not seeking the living. We're seeking the dead among the dead. We think Jesus is dead. And the angel says, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary, Mag- Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And check this out. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping in, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes. Uh, uh, by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray, Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. And we pray that you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear this very morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said, amen. I'm excited about this word. I want to really break it down in a couple hours for you. I'm going to be quick this morning. First of all, what we see in this text is there's a record of the resurrection. That that the, that the ladies show up expecting that they're going to uh, anoint a dead body. When they get there, the stone is rolled away. We see, first of all, the the, the first record that we see that Christ is resurrected is what that there's an empty tomb. That we know that these ladies on Friday saw this body get put in there, stone rolled away, and then when they get there, the first thing that declares to them that Christ is raised that the tomb is empty. They get there, and they're perplexed. It says they got there to do their thing, and they found the stone was rolled away. They knew that the body had been there, but now the stone is rolled away, and they go in, and they did not find the body, verse 3 says. So the first thing that testifies that Christ is risen is that there's an empty tomb. 
The second thing that we see in this story that testifies to the empty tomb is that there were angels there. And we see that in verses four through seven. It says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, the two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. So when they get there, the stone is rolled away. And I want to make a point to you that I heard some other preachers say this week. The angel didn't roll the stone as an exit for Jesus, but an entrance for the women. That Jesus had already risen. He had, he was, matter of fact, we see this post, the story, that his disciples are locked into a room. And what does he do? He walked through the door. He didn't need the stone rolled away for him to walk out. The angel had to stone, roll the stone away so for the women to walk in. It was an empty tomb, and the angel said, come on in. And look, he's not here. He's not here anymore. He is risen like he said he would be. He said, he told you like this. And I, I, I studied through some, some texts, and there's actually, Jesus told about his death. Matter of fact, Jesus prophesied about his death even more than we see in the Old Testament. He, he likened himself as like the story of Jonah, how Jonah was thrown into the sea and into the belly of the well for three days. Then he, that's the same as the son of man. And he talked about often how he would be lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent. But there were actually times that he told his disciples specifically that he'd be handed over Delivered, crucified. And we see those in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. I think they're going to come up on the screen. Yeah, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and rise. And also in Matthew chapter 17, uh, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered to the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day and they were greatly distressed. And the last one, which is most explicit, chapter 20. It says, And Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Check out this. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But here it is. And he will be raised on the third day. The angel said, listen to me, just like he told you, he is risen. He is not here. The angels declared, they record the resurrection. There's an empty tomb that says, he is not here. The angel said, come on in. He's not here. Just like he said, we see the record of the resurrection. Next, we see the women. The angel said, in other accounts, the angel tells the women to go and tell Peter and the disciples. So they go and they declare it to the disciples. He's risen just like he said, and it says the disciples couldn't believe it in their own doubt of, because they saw him die, where they actually, they were scattered. And here's what's crazy, and, and we, me and Luke and I were talking about this, this this morning, is that these ladies, remember, they went to the tomb thinking he was dead. But look at their loyalty to their dead Lord. And I made this statement, I told Luke, I shouldn't say this on Easter Sunday to be a a buzzkill, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that these ladies are more uh, faithful or committed to a Lord that they think is dead than we are as the Lord that we know is alive. They show up. Angel says he's risen just like he said he would be. Go and tell the other disciples. So the ladies, they go and they proclaim that he is risen. He is not here. He is alive. They can't believe it. Scripture says that Peter ran back and looked, and he marveled at it. 
And inside these accounts, if you read the other Gospels, you can kind of find a timeline of all these things that went happened. But the reality is what we see, the record of the resurrection, is that there's an empty tomb, and that's enough in itself. The point is that the tomb is empty. We know the Jewish leaders didn't steal the body because they were afraid the disciples were going to steal the body. We know that the disciples didn't steal the bodies. They don't know where it is. The women, because they don't know where it is either. The guards, that would have been against what they were supposed to do. But here's what's crazy. Everyone is giving testimony of the empty tomb, even the guards. If you read in Matthew's account in chapter 28, so kind of how the story would be is that before the ladies got there, the angel would have already opened the tomb. He would have rolled the stone away. And the guards were there. Remember, they, it was sealed and guarded by the soldiers, what Luke talked about last week. And this is what happens in, ch- in chapter 28. It says uh, in verse 2, it says, There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone uh, and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his white clothing as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and it became like dead men. And then it picks up later. So after all this that we read in Luke, eventually those guards go back to the, uh, the chief priest. And he says this in chapter 28, verse 11. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest of what had taken place. So not only is there an empty tomb, not only is the women, are the women going and say, saying, the, uh, Christ is not here, he is risen. Not only is the angel declaring and the, the disciples understand and declare, but even the guards are saying, listen to me, this is what happened. An angel came and rolled the stone away, and Jesus was not there. But not only that, but the chief priests are even. Listen, and here's what I'm trying to get at. Even if they're in favor of or against, they were still proclaiming that Jesus was risen from the dead. Did you see it? They make up a story. Beginning in verse 12, it says, And when they had assembled the elders and taken the council, they gave a significant sum of money to the soldiers. Isn't it interesting this is another sermon itself that any the times that we've seen definitely in Christ that when there's been a denial of Christ or betrayal of Christ, there was a price that somebody paid for that. Uh, but anyway, with Judas and the money now, these guys, these soldiers are giving the money. They're telling them this. Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this comes to the governor's ears, he'll satisfy. So either way, listen to me. The news of the empty tomb was being spread. And that's the point of the text is that there is an empty tomb this morning. And that Sunday morning, that first Easter Sunday morning, the women went thinking one thing, and they were radically surprised to understand that that tomb was rolled away and their Messiah was risen. So we see the record of the resurrection. I want to spend some time real quick in the results of the resurrection. Why the resurrection? Why is this? Why do we have this story? What is the results of it? What did Christ earn? Was not Good Friday, was it not good enough for him just to take on the sins of the world? I mean, right, that's good enough, right? Isn't it good enough just for a, a, a spotless lamb to, uh, to, be, to, be the, to drink the cup of wrath, to bear the sin? Like, isn't that enough? And I would say this, no, the resurrection is what hinges all of these things. Without the resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we should be pitied that our preaching is foolishness, that we shouldn't, we have no stock in this if Christ hasn't raised from the dead. So what are the results of this resurrection? This is the most climactic point in human history. 
Oftentimes, we talk about the most climactic point is Christmas or, or Good Friday, and the most climactic point is this day we celebrate now. So what are the results of this resurrection? First of all, it vindicated the son. So just what do you mean by that? All his claims to be the son of God, all his claims to be the one who the father sent for the forgiveness of sins is vindicated. It is made true in his resurrection. It could be said like this, that on Friday, Christ wrote the check, and on Sunday, the check cleared. That God is satisfied by, by God raising his son on Easter Sunday morning is that God is satisfied with the offering that his son gave on Friday. I, I read it like this week, like on Friday evening, or Friday afternoon, the son of God said, it is finished. And on Sunday morning, God the Father said, it is finished indeed. That he vindicates the son, the father vindicates the son as the perfect one. And, the, and when raising Jesus from the dead, it is God the Father saying, he alone is the just one. He alone provides forgiveness of sins. That's what we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. It says, let it be known to all you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected by the builders who has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which man must be saved. What's the resurrection proclaim? What's the result of resurrection? The God, the Father, he approves of the work. He approves of the one. He says, now, Jesus Christ, he is the only name that man can be saved. That all roads don't lead to God. But what Easter morning tells us, listen to me, there's hope. Listen to me. This morning around the, around the United States, there are people who don't know Jesus, but they're coming in to celebrate Easter Sunday morning. But what Easter Sunday morning actually tells us is if you're not trusting in Jesus, you have no hope at all because him and him alone is the only name that we can be saved. It vindicates the son. Everything he said is true. He and he alone. He says, I'm I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. How do we know that's true? Because of resurrection morning. Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11 says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, Friday. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That now we, listen, here's the thing. Now this Jesus that we serve, this Jesus we worship, is not the humble Galilean carpenter that walked on the Middle Eastern hillside. He's the risen, reigning, ruling king of the universe that every knee will bow to that name and confess he is Lord, whether on this earth or the judgment to come. It vindicates the son. He and he alone can man get to God. Not only did it vindicate the son, but Romans teaches us that his resurrection provides our justification. In Romans chapter 4, we read this, who, being Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses, again, Friday, but he was raised on Sunday for what? Our justification. That you and I now, and, and notice this, notice, notice it says, what did I say? It provides our justification. 
the resurrection itself, it, it alone provides our justification. Not my, my belief, not this. It is the resurrection provides justification. As in our stance before God as, as holy and blameless, forgiven, redeemed, sons and daughters, grafted into the family of God, is provided by us or provided to us by the resurrection of Christ Jesus our Lord. Says we who was delivered up for our trespasses, trans, trespasses and raised for our justification, chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, so not only check out, I didn't, I'm not all this not come on the screen, but he's raised for our justification. And we, we've been justified by faith. But because of that, it says we have peace with God. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we've been justified by, by faith and we have peace with God. Not only that, but it says through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Because of the resurrection of Christ, listen to me, child of God, not only have you been justified by faith, not only do you have peace with God, but now you stand in grace because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it gets better. It's not done there. And it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that we have a hope of glory. And later on, it says, and a hope that does not disappoint, if you keep reading. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Man, this is beautiful by the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit, what's the result of the resurrection is our justification. And because of that justification, we have peace with God. We stand in grace. We have a hope. And listen to me, we are bathed in the love of God. That because of the resurrection of Christ, now God the Father can pour his love out upon those who call upon the Son. That the peace that we have, the, the assurance that we have, the hope that we have is all anchored in the fact that there's an empty tomb. Not only does it provide our justification, but it also ensures our sanctification. Show you how pivotal the resurrection story is. It's not just to get you into heaven, but it's also, it ensures our sanctification. Romans chapter six, verse four says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, check out this, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, Easter Sunday, what's the result of that? We too will walk in newness of life. Listen to me, child of God. This is what you need to understand, is that the empty tomb has ensured your sanctification. That as in, God's just not getting me into the family. He's keeping me in the family. That God is, the, the transformation that the gospel does in my life has been purchased at the cross in the empty tomb. Just as Christ was raised, you will walk in the newness of life. Romans 8, 11 says, It's the spirit of whom raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See how important the resurrection is. It isn't just so that we have this high day in our year, but everything about the Christian experience hinges on the resurrection. Our entrance in, our ability to stay, and listen to me, not only does it provide our justification and ensure our sanctification, but it guarantees our glorification. In 1 Corinthians 15, that Luke read earlier, this whole chapter is written through 
some of the believers there in Corinth were literally they didn't believe that people would be raised from the dead. They didn't believe in a resurrection, so he writes the whole thing saying, hey, ultimately, and he actually, he doesn't start arguing Christ's resurrection. Listen to me. If, if others aren't going to be raised, then Christ hasn't raised. That you can't separate the two. But he said, but surely Christ is risen. He's risen from the dead. And we see this in verse 20. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been fallen away. First fruits is our indicator. Now, on Resurrection Sunday, he was the first fruits. He was the first of many. He was the first to, to be resurrected from the grave. You said, Justin, no, what about Jairus' daughter and Lazarus? No, those are different stories. They were more resuscitated. Why? Because they were going to die again. Christ's resurrection is the first one where, one, first of all, he resurrected himself. We, Luke asked the question, who resurrected Christ? Well, Jesus resurrected himself. The Father, res- the, Holy Spirit. the Trinity resurrected Jesus on this day. But the picture here is that the first fruits, he's the first of many. In verse 21 says, for as by a man came death, by a man also comes the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, also also in Christ shall be made alive. In verse 23 it says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, resurrection Sunday. And check this out. Then, but each in his own, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What does the resurrection guarantee us? Is that one day we will have a resurrection as well. We don't talk much about this in the Christian realm anymore. Oftentimes, when, when someone dies, we, we, we begin to use lingo as in their whole and their heel, which is true. I'm not saying that's not true. Or they're with God, which is true. But right now, but until Christ returns, but until this, this resurrection of the dead, you and I, when we die, we do go to the presence of God. Paul says, for me to live as Christ, me to die as gain. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. I believe that 100%. Listen to me. Listen to tell you, let me tell you something, church. Because of the resurrection of Christ, there will be a day that this old decayed body will be called up out of the ground and will receive a new body. And I want to experience God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and the Son just in spirit, but bodily we'll be in the presence of our Redeemer. The, the, the resurrection or Easter Sunday guarantees that for us. The reason why we can have hope that, that the grave has lost its power, that the grave doesn't get the last word. Listen to me. If you've buried a loved one that knows Jesus and you put them in a the grave, I want you to know when you put that dirt over that grave, it doesn't get the last word. One day our Savior is going to come. When he comes, the, those who have been made alive in Christ will, will be raptured up into the sky. Their bodies will come to the sky and there'll be a new body. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul even gives us that imagery beginning in verse 50. Sorry. I'm trying to go fast, but I'm excited too. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body will be put on imperishable and this body, this mortal body will put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immor- immortality, it shall come to pass in the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The resurrection isn't just about getting into heaven. It isn't just about getting my sins forgiven. It's about even the life of sanctification. Listen to me. It purchased it for you. I can tell you, son of child of God, that maybe sin has got you beat down. Maybe you've made a, a, a shipwreck of your faith. I want you to know there's an empty tomb, and because of that empty tomb, you have a Holy Spirit living within you, and just as Christ was raised to, to, by the Father, you too have been walk, raised to walk in newness of life. That Christ hasn't regretted saving you. That you're redeemed, as much redeemed now as you were when you placed your faith in Jesus. Today, repent. Call upon the name of the Lord, and he will forgive. Death is defeated. Because of the resurrection, you and I have hope that death is defeated and there's freedom of bondage, that, that death doesn't get the last word, that one day we'll be united with him, not just in part or in spirit, but fully. Isaiah 53 says he will see his offspring. That's a picture that one day the bride of Christ, the very bride that the Father is preparing to give to the Son, that the Son will see the bride in which he died to purchase. How is that so? Because one day, those who have been made alive in Christ, those who have been born again, though they may be dead, they will be raised to walk, or raised to life, and they will be united with their Savior. So we've seen the record We've seen some of the results. I don't have time to go through all of them. That's just, I gave you a 30,000-foot view. And what I want you to see from your entrance in to your time to glory is all made available through the resurrection of Christ. Nothing about the Christian experience is due to you or I doing anything. It's through the resurrection of Christ. The third R that we see, and yes, I've got real good in Baptist. The third R that we see, there were responses to the resurrection. There were responses to the resurrection. The women, they were astonished. They were amazed. The soldiers, they were terrified. The disciples, they didn't believe it. And the Jewish leaders tried to deny it. But here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. A response is required. You can't leave here today. Here I'm saying, look, look into the tomb. He is no longer here. You cannot leave here today and not give a response to an empty tomb. It demands, it beckons a response. Whether that response be astonishment, whether that response being disbelief, or that response is, is anything that you see, you can't ignore it. And here's the thing. I said this a few weeks ago. Christ is no longer on trial. We're the ones on trial. And what we do with an empty tomb, how we respond to it, has eternal significance. How have you responded to the empty tomb? Man, there's so many things I could chase down here. It's interesting that the first witnesses of the resurrection were women. It wasn't the men, and many people would say, man, if, if, if Christ wanted to make sure that his story didn't get twisted or anything, he'd make sure men, because like if there was like, if there was like a, uh, 
a court thing, a court hearing going on, women wouldn't have been allowed to speak at that thing. So why would they want the women to go and open? Because they wouldn't be able to defend it. They wouldn't have had opportunity to speak. So just what he's trying to say is that this gospel message, this resurrection message, isn't just to those who have all the smarts. It isn't just to those who have everything figured out and all the accolades. The first people who to, to preach the good news of the resurrection were these ladies. And who did, who did they get told to go tell? The deserters. Right? Matter of fact, in Mark's account, the angel literally gives Peter's name specifically. He says, go tell Peter and the disciples who were on Friday. What did they do? They abandoned. They, they, they checked out. They fleed. Yeah, the angel tells the ladies, hey, go tell, the, go tell the deserters that he's risen, that he is who he says he is. The tomb is empty, and it's a message for all people who don't deserve it. So this morning, in closing, as John Ryan comes up, sorry, I meant to tell you that a while ago, John Ryan. How, how have you responded to the empty tomb? Child of God, I want, you to, I want to encourage you this morning I think I said this a few years ago, and it doesn't make any sense, but it does, is that you can't un-Easter Jesus, is that he's risen, he's risen indeed. The tomb remains vacant. It remains empty. And so what he's promised you, what he's made of you, what he's declared for you, what he's, what he's done for you is, is done. He hasn't, it's not undone. And so no matter where you find yourself this morning, the tomb is still empty and Christ is still seated on the throne. And so maybe your own sin has you weighed down and bogged down and you would say, man, I'm not worthy of this resurrection. I'm not worthy of this gospel story. You're not. And neither am I. Who did, who did the angel tell again for the women to go tell this gospel story, this good news is those who deserted? So this morning is simple. If you are a child of God and maybe you have, like I said, dropped the ball, if you will, and you maybe came in today carrying guilt and shame, I want you to know that Your Savior has still been faithful to you even if you haven't been faithful when he says the day. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just for you. If you repent and return, he won't keep you away. Maybe you're not a Christian in here. Maybe you're here just because it's Easter and you're trying to appeal to a family member because you don't want to have an awkward lunch after church. Maybe that's why you're here today. What I want you to know is that this idea of or this story about an empty tomb, see, Justin, that's 2,000 years ago. It's not related. No, it is relatable. If you haven't trusted in Jesus today, I want to invite you to do so. I want to invite you to, to, to place your faith in him. I want to invite you to confess your sin and trust him as Savior. 
Nothing you have to do. There's nothing you could do to earn your salvation. It has been done. Believing in him, repenting of sin. Will you trust in Jesus today? The tomb's empty. It demands a response. You may walk out this door today unsaved, but you're not uninformed. You may walk out this door not born again, but it's not because you haven't been presented the truth of God's love and how to be saved. You must make a response to it. I pray that you will believe in the risen Lord Jesus and be justified and have peace with God. And a hope that doesn't fail. Isn't that an incredible thing? Because, and this life is tough, y'all. But because of the resurrection, there's a hope that doesn't fail. And it's yours to be had by trusting in the resurrected one and him alone. I'm going to pray and I'm going to get out of the way. The band's going to lead us in another song. I know y'all were hungry and I didn't keep you too long. If you're here on a normal Sunday, I'd still have about 20 more minutes. <clears throat> so you're welcome. Will you trust in the Lord Jesus today? Because by trusting in him, you can have, you can be justified, your life can be radically changed, and you can have a hope that's even greater than a grave. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we pray now as we just respond to your word. God, we've seen the record of the, rec- of the resurrection. We've seen some results, what you've accomplished on our behalf. But God, may we today respond in a way glorifies and honors you, God, for the one in here who hasn't trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, who does not have this hope or this peace, God, that today you would draw them to yourself, that they would trust in the Lord Jesus. God, for the believer in here who's been struggling with life and sin and failures and the direction their life's going and anything else, God, that they'd be reminded that there's still an empty tomb. that all your promises are vindicated because of that empty tomb. So God, be with us today. Be with us this afternoon. Be with us in the days and weeks to come that we remember that even after today, tomorrow, you're still a risen Lord. That Easter Sunday isn't just a time that we gather to to raise up a monument of some historical thing, but God, it's something that because that happened in history, things are still changing today. Still at work today. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to pray. If you need to trust in Jesus as your Lord, we can connect you with somebody. Um, But let's respond as the Lord leads.